If you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 23. The title of the message this morning is Blessings and Warnings. As we come into this next text of Scripture, we see several interesting promises and warnings that God gives the children of Israel using a simple set of exhortations to follow an angel. But is there something to ponder first, though? It seems as though our secular society has the, or is fascinated with the idea of angels and specifically guardian angels. Uh, it gives people the warm fuzzies to think that there might be some type of angelic being uh, somewhere out there watching over them, possibly protecting them from hidden danger, accident, an accident, or some type of harm. People must be careful, though, to not give too much attention to these thoughts. God's word is forthright in its exhortation to not worship angels. However, uh, God's word uh, reminds us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his own spiritual mind. Once again, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. So we're not to worship angels by any means. Also, at the heart of an authentic angel is being, an angel being is a desire to worship God, but not to be worshipped himself. The Bible reminds us in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, it says, Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the testimony about Jesus. Worship God, because the testimony about Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. So God's word is also very careful to remind us that if it is truly an angelic being, the desire is not to be worshipped, but to reflect that worship back on to God himself. But on the other hand, no one can deny or underestimate the presence of angels, because God's word also states in Psalm 91.11, For he, referring to God, will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. So there's no doubt an idea that angels are there. They do protect. They, do, uh, they are in our presence at times. Sometimes God's word even refers to angels who are they're unawares. And, uh, but most of the time, and as in many places in Scripture, angels perform certain and specific tasks. So in our text in Exodus chapter 23, we're going to read, or if you would follow along as I read, verses 20 to the end. And we're going to draw out some of the ideas that God was referring to as he said to follow this angel that I'm placing in front of you. So if you would follow along as I begin reading verse 20 and then we will open in prayer. Verse 20 says, I am going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to his voice. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion for my name is in him. But if you will carefully obey him and do everything I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, Hivites, the Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. You must not bow down to their gods or worship them. Do not imitate their practices. Instead, demolish them and smash their sacred pillars to pieces. Worship the Lord your God and he will bless you. Or bless your bread and your water, and I will remove illness from you. No woman will miscarry or be childless in your land. I will give you the full number of your days. I will cause the people ahead of you to feel terror and throw into confusion all the nations you come to. I will make all your enemies turn, back, turn their backs to you and retreat. I will send the hornet in front of you, and it will drive the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites away from you. 
I will not drive them out ahead of you in a single year, otherwise the land would become desolate, and wild animals would multiply against you. I will drive them out little by little instead of ahead of you until you have become numerous and take possession of the land. I will set your borders from the sea, Red Sea, to the Mediterranean Sea, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates River. For I will place the inhabitants of the land under your control, and you will drive them out ahead of you. You must not make a covenant with them or their gods. They must not remain in your land, or else they will make you sin against me. If you worship their gods, it will be a snare for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at this next text of Scripture here in the book of Exodus, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, we realize that as we are going through this book, Lord, we realize that this book of the covenant was given to the children of Israel as a set of guidelines to rule and uh, give them discipline and order within their lives, Lord, as your children. And Lord, uh, though this book of the covenant was for them, Lord, it has so many applications for us in our own lives, Lord. And I pray, pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we might know them, that we might be able to apply them, Lord, where they're applicable to our lives, where we live today. And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts for these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we said in our text in Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, God said he was going to send an angel ahead of them to both protect and lead them to the place of his desire. There's kind of a lot of speculation here. People are unsure as to what this angel here in Exodus 23 is. Is he a messenger? Some say he's simply a human being since uh, the Hebrew word is messenger. Some say Moses, but this could not be the case as his angel would see. Um, I'm sorry, this would not be the case as the angel said he would lead them to the place of a desire. He would lead them to the promised land. Moses was never allowed to go there. So it wasn't Moses himself. I personally see this angel as just that, an angel sent of God to lead his people. And so, much like the Holy Spirit would lead us today, and here's how we know this. Well, God gave the angel a position of authority. Uh, And you see this right away, that people were to be attentive to the angel and to listen to his voice. Um, The people were not to defy the angel with rebellion. Um, Rebellion always has an idea of affronting, and rebellion specifically has the idea of an affronting of God. When God places an authority in our lives, how do we respond to that? I know that as you look in the world around us, you see an awful lot of opposition to authority. And especially in the, in the world of, in, in a spiritual realm, when God has placed His Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to indwell us, to lead us, guide us, direct us. And oftentimes we in our flesh want to defy that, we want to do our own thing, and it's an affront to God. So rebellion is always an affront to God. And the people were not to defy the angel with the rebellion. But the people were to obey the angel to receive God's protection. Over and over he said this in verse 20. I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared for you. And uh, the reason why I have to believe it's just that as God's word has said an angel meant to lead very much like the Holy Spirit does in our lives today. And I think that's what God wants to do for us still. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I still believe that God wants to protect us from what we know is sometimes, or from sometimes what we want, which will cause us problems. Um, God's word tells us in Psalms that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But if we're living within the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing us, there's protection in that. And nothing happens outside of God's will, is that correct? All things work together for good to them that what? Love God, are called according to His purpose. And so the bottom line is, do I love God enough to trust Him to do whatever He wants with my life? 
So if I'm walking with Him, I'm in fellowship with Him, I'm being obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading, He's going to protect me. And if it's something I think is harmful, it doesn't matter what I think. Because God's only going to do what's best for me and what's right for me. So we need to trust God enough to do that. And the Holy Spirit, once again, is going to lead us every day of our lives. If we will submit to the Spirit's leading rather than giving into the flesh, He will lead us where He wants us to go. And of course, He does that most, most specifically through the word, word, of, word of God in the Bible. But the people were to obey the angel to receive God's protection. I think we want God's protection today. We still have to obey the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives and obey God's word in our lives. And one of the principles found throughout Scripture is this. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings destruction. And I think you see that in several principles throughout Scripture. Probably the most notable one is in Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49. It talks about the analogy of building a house. It says, he that built a house on the rock is picturesque of what? Somebody who heard the word of God and obeyed what it said to do. The person who built on the sand is picturesque of somebody who also heard but chose not to obey. And the person who heard and obeyed and built on that rock, so to speak, when the storms came, the trials came, it stood firm. But the person who built on the sand, in other words, he heard but did not obey, when the trials came, the storms came, it fell flat. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience often brings destruction. And that's this principle throughout Scripture. And it says in Psalm 34, verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around to those who fear him and rescues them. So one of the purposes that God had for the children of Israel here in sending this angel was to go before them to not only protect them, but to lead them to where he wanted them to be. And along the way, he says this, The people were not to bow down to their gods or worship them. The people were not to imitate their ungodly practices. And were also to demolish their practices and smash their sacred pillars. I realize that this is the book of the covenant that was directed to the children of Israel, but let me ask this question. Has anything in that changed? Yes or no? No. God still wants us to follow Him and Him alone. But I find it amazing that as we're on life's journey, how many things will creep into our lives and distract us and cause our focus to go off of God and onto the things. So here it is, the angel's leading them outward, and along the way he says, you're going to see some things. And as you see some things, don't imitate them, don't copy them, don't let them be part of your lives. In fact, when you see them, destroy them. So that they don't have an opportunity to take a root or foothold in your life. So he said we're to get rid of those. So they're not to bow down to their gods. They weren't to worship them. You say, well, Pastor Ken, this is the year 2016. I mean, it's almost 2017. Does any one of us have a, a room dedicated in our house to your false gods? That's exactly what I thought. None of us. But does that mean we don't have gods? Does that mean that we don't have idols in our life? No, it doesn't. You've heard me say this many times throughout the years. Anything that we give more time, attention, focus to has the potential of being an idol in our life. And we're on a journey. And God's Word reminds us in Philippians and in several other passages that we are just pilgrims, we're aliens, we're sojourners, we're strangers in this land called America. We're here for a period of time, whether it's Five years, 15 years, 25 years, 85 years. We're here for a period of time. We are passing through. But we need to be careful as we are passing through what we let our eyes gaze upon. Right? We need to be careful as we're going on this journey that these things around us don't distract us from getting to the place where God wants us to be. So he says, make sure that as you're on this journey, 
Make sure that you don't bow down to the gods, that you don't worship them. In fact, when you see them, get rid of them. Put them out away from you. Don't give in to them. Look at verse 25 here. I think this is awesome. What a, what a, <laughs> this is a great promise. Verse 25. Worship the Lord your God, and he will... No, he gives us six, seven things here. If I will worship the Lord... Let me just say this. What does it mean to worship? We kind of have a skewed idea sometimes. Sometimes we think, well, I go to church and I worship during the music time. What about the other six days? What's that? Worship is a condition of our hearts. And whether you have music or not is irrelevant to the fact that we have to be worshiping God and who He is, right? Right? So worship is a part of our heart. It's a, it comes out of our heart of love in our walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. So worship... So he says, if you will worship me, here's what I will do. He said, I will bless your bread and remove your illness. Look at this in verse 25. Worship the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. I want God's blessing. I want my provision. I want my supplies met. I want my needs met. Anybody not want that? Walk with God, and he'll take care of your needs. He's promised that. Uh, verse 26. Um, actually, the end of verse 25 says, And I will remove illness from you. Wouldn't that be great if that were all true today? I will remove all illness from you. Anybody? Two hands and a foot? I wouldn't mind that. I mean, this was a great promise given to the children of Israel. Verse 26, No woman will miscarry or be childless in your land. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Don't have to worry about not being able to have children or, or having difficulty. God says, I will bless you in that area. I will give you full number of your days. Well, what does God's word tell us about the full number of days? I was telling someone the other day, it's like, man, you got the 70, man. Everything beyond 70 is just bonus. No. Well, think of the promises that God, God has laid out. He says, if you will follow the leader that I'm putting in front of you who happens to be an angel. If you will do this, I will do my part. And then he says, I will bless mankind with full number of days. I will bless you with peace from your enemies. Look at verse 27. I will cause the people ahead of you to feel terror and throw into confusion all the nations you come to. I will make your enemies turn their backs to you and retreat. Wouldn't that be awesome? Not have to raise a sword. Somebody said in, the, in, the serve, in, in Sunday school this morning, the gladius that they used to be, gladius, glock. I'm kind of for the glock part, not the gladius part. You know, I, we want to control these things, don't we? But God says, I'll do this for you. I will do this. Going on, verse 28, I will send a hornet in front of you and it will drive the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites away from you. What's he saying here? I'll bless you with a vast land. I'm going to take care of it. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. You just, you just follow. And I'll take care of all the details. I'll bless you with authority over the other people groups. Over and over he says this. I will send the horn. Verse 29. I will not drive them out ahead of you in a single year. Otherwise the land would become desolate. And wild animals would multiply against you. I will drive them out little by little ahead of you until you have become numerous and take possession of the land. 
Multiply the land? Yes. Verse 31. I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, from the wilderness to the Euphrates River, for I will place the inhabitants of the land under your control, and you will drive them out ahead of you. I mean, think about this. All they had to do was what? Obey and follow. Which begs another question. Why is it that most of us want the blessings of God without obedience to God? And I found in my life it doesn't work that way. If I want the blessings of God, I have to be obedient to God. Is that right? How can I expect God to bless when I'm living in sin? How can I expect God to answer my prayer and say, Hey, God, I need you to do this, this, and this when I'm choosing to live in sin? I can't expect the blessings of God until I'm willing to be submissive to God in obedience. And this is quite a list. I mean, bless your bread, remove your illness, bless every woman with a successful childbirth and not be barren, and bless mankind with full number of days and peace from the enemies and a vast land. I mean, who wouldn't want these things? And yet we know that there are always things that creep into our lives that distract us from what God wants for us. Because oftentimes we think that what we want for us is better than what God wants for us. Is that true? It's never true, is it? We may think it is. We may think that what we want is better for ourselves is better than what God wants for ourselves, but that's never true. The only way that can be true is if we want for us what God wants for us. But here's the condition. We said that there was blessings, but there was also warnings. Look at the warning. Verse 32. You must not make a covenant with them or their gods. They must not remain in your land or else they will make you sin against me. If you worship their gods, it will be a snare for you. I don't know if you know what a snare is. Anybody ever worked with snares before? A real snare? You've been out trapping, you've been out hunting. A snare is something that's very unique. In fact, it's, it's made to be very... What's the word I'm looking for? It just kind of blends in. It's very... Uh, camouflage. It's hidden. Thank you. It's the idea of, if you've ever snared a rabbit, in some states you, you can't use snares, you've got to use traps, but wherever you, if you've ever used them before, it's almost like a noose on the ground. You know what a noose is? Remember the old Wild West and somebody got caught doing something wrong or stealing, they'd put them in a noose and they would drop the thing out and they their neck. Not real pretty. This is what it is, right? But a snare is almost like a noose on the ground. And so a trapper would find a trail where there are rabbit, where there are beaver, where there are other mink, so forth. And they would find the trail or make a trail, a small opening where a small rodent of some sort, animal of some sort, would go through. And as they would come through, it would be big enough for their head to get through, but not big enough for the body to get through. And as they would go through the noose or through the snare, it would become tighter and tighter and tighter until it would choke the life out of them. And see, it's amazing. When you look at the word picture that Jesus Christ uses, or God uses in his word here, he says, if you give in to worshiping these false gods, it will be a snare to you. In other words, it will look like it's, not, like it's normal. I'm going to go along and 
you know, just as a rabbit walks through that snare, he doesn't know he's walking into the snare at first, does he? But as soon as he goes a little bit further and takes another step and another step, and all of a sudden he realizes it's too tight and there's no turning back. And it snuffs the life out of him. That's what sin does. He says, if you do this, look at verse 31, 33. If you worship their gods, it will be a snare for you. In other words, it will take your life from you. Someone once said it years ago. It's been put into song. It's been put into quotes. It's been put in different places. But sin will take you further than you ever meant to go. Sin will cost you far more than you ever meant to pay. And sin, sin will, what's the third one? It'll cost you more than you meant to pay. Bottom line is, sin destroys. And snares, they're camouflage. They're subtle. You don't hardly know what's happening until it's too late. And oftentimes that's what sin does to us. So we got to get back to the idea of what is worship. He says, listen, if you've worshipped me alone, who am I worshipping today? What gets most of my time and my affection, my energy, my resources? There's a strong possibility that whatever gets my time, my attention, my focus, my resources, it's a good possibility that those things could become idols in my life. And although I may not be bowing down to them, I may absolutely be worshiping them. And it could be a lot of different things. I don't know what it was for the children of Israel. Maybe as they were walking through by, by the thousands and they were seeing this and that, maybe they saw people's homes and they said, man, maybe, I, maybe, <laughs> maybe you know, as, as a child, one of the children of Israel, I would be looking over and saying, man, it'd be nice not to be wandering. It'd be nice to have that home as my home. Man, I want that. Maybe as they were walking along, they say, man, look at all these, these, you know, these people. I can see them in their windows, and they're, 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 they're eating, and, they're, and they have beds, and they have I mean, I just, just the normal things of life. I want that for me. And they get jealous and covetous of that. I, I don't know. What's it in our day and age? Money? Position? Stuff? New vehicle? Nicer house? Better furniture? What is it? I don't know. But he says, don't be distracted by these things. Don't give in to worshiping them. Don't let them distract you from worshiping me because I'm the most important thing, God says. But like the angel assigned to lead the Israelites, God gave you and me a leader in Jesus Christ. And this Holy Spirit gives us the ability to follow him completely. I don't want to read anything more into the angel that God gave the children of Israel than this. God gave them a leader. And they were to follow. And in our lives, we have Jesus Christ. And we are to follow. He will lead us. He says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says, he'll be with us through the very end of the age. He'll be with us from beginning to end. We don't have to worry about him leaving off somewhere as we're on the journey. He's there. Uh, in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He gives us the opportunity to 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 go all in, to follow him completely. In Luke chapter 9, verse 35, he reminds us that he is the one that we are to listen to. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he reminds us that he is the radiance of our glory, or of his own glory, and we're to give him the glory. 
So what can we learn from this passage in Exodus chapter 23? Well, let me read a passage from the New Testament here, just real quickly. In 1 Corinthians, and I'm sure Matt will have it on the screen far faster than I will, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as warnings to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. We have an example. Everything that happens is for our example, to learn from it. So when God gave the children of Israel this book of the, of the covenant and these guidelines to follow, what does it mean for us? We're to follow, learn from it, It'd be an example to us. That there are things that please God, things that don't please God. Things that will give uh, glory to Him, things that won't give glory to Him. But like the Israelites, we too are on a pilgrimage and Jesus is our leader. Like the Israelites, God will lead us to victory. And he made that very clear. Back in verse 22 and verse 23, he said this. He says, but if you will carefully obey him and do everything I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the end of the end. If we think about that, he says, I'll, I'll get you there from point A to point B. I will get there. All you need to do is follow. So just like the children of Israel, God will lead us to victory. And our job is to be strong in the Lord. And can I just say this? There's no room for compromise. What did compromise do for Achan? And how did Achan's sin affect the entire group? Say, well, it's just me. It's just a little thing. I love what Dr. Ola used to always say, no one sins in a vacuum. No one can say, well, my sin is just mine. It affects those around us. And it affected the children of Israel. There's no room for compromise. Verse 32 and verse 33 reminds us, you must not make a covenant with them or their gods. You must not remain in your land or else they will make you sin against me. So well, how can they make me sin against? Bottom line is, it'll wear on you. If you stay there, it'll wear on you. And pretty soon you start to think, well, that's not that big a deal. I mean, that's them, that's me, you know, we're different. Let me ask you a question. In our culture, where we live today, is this a true statement or not? We no longer blush at the sins that we see on TV that we blushed at 20 years ago. We don't blush at it anymore because we say, well, it's just the way it is. No big deal. It's just the way it is nowadays. Things that used to bother us, things that we used to say, oh, I can't believe that's going on, are now becoming the norm of everyday life. We don't even blush at it anymore. Because it's just so anticipated. It's so out there. It's everywhere around us. I think that's what he's saying here. If you stay there, if you make a covenant with them, even though in your mind you say, well, we're different, you're there long enough, you'll adopt part of their ways. You can't camp out there. There's no room for compromise. Idolatry is a snare and it starts, it's strangled with compromise. So I want to leave you with these three questions. Number one, have I stepped towards compromise in any way? He says, when you go through, when you follow the angel that I'm putting out there in front of you, don't even think about giving in to their gods. In fact, when you see them, destroy them. Are there any idols in your life? Any areas of your life that you're beginning to compromise? 
in. Because it's a snare that will strangle you. And we need to deal with it. Number two, what temptations do I need to avoid? Can you imagine, once again, just being the children of Israel, you're going through these places, and we're on a journey, we're on a pilgrimage, and you're tired, you're worn out, you're exhausted. Is that not characteristic of life sometimes? We know that there's something more that awaits us as God's children, right? We know that in our minds. We know that one day we're going to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior in heaven. But does anyone ever get tired along the way? I think we do sometimes. And we're tempted to take a shortcut. Tempted to say, hey, it's not that big a deal. Tempted to just give in. And the question I have is, what temptations do we need to avoid? What do we need to avoid? And then number three, am I walking in complete obedience? See, the blessing comes with obedience. You ever heard this phrase? A half-truth is a whole lie. Partial Partial disobedience is still disobedience. I can't just be obedient in some areas, but not in others. I can't just be obedient when it's convenient. I can't just be obedient when it's, you know, when I have time for that. I think obedience is required all the time. I don't think that. I know that. Complete obedience will bring God's blessing. Now, if I were to go back and say, if I do the same things that God told the children of Israel to do, does that mean I'm going to have the same, I mean, all my health and health is going to be wiped out? No. Remember, that was written to the children of Israel. But in application, it's directed to us as well. God wants us to walk in obedience. He expects us not to compromise. He expects us not to give in to temptation. He expects us to worship Him and Him alone. That's what He expects. But every day we have a choice. And we have to understand, obedience brings blessing. Disobedience often brings destruction. I want God's blessing. I don't know about you, but I want that. And that means I have to make choices every day that warrant God's blessing. That's not why I do it. I do it because I love Him. In fact, Romans 12 reminds us that he goes, this is your reasonable worship to give your life a sacrifice. We don't do it because we may get something out of it. We do it because it's right. We do it because we love him. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he goes on to say that my commandments are not grievous. It's not too much to, to expect in light of what I've done for you. But he makes it clear here, there are promises but there are also warnings. And every day is a choice. Blessing or the lack thereof. Let's pray.